Lively, you're quite lively. We'll soon put an end to that. I see no one is sat in the front row. Wise decision. Uh, welcome to the fringe. Um, if you've never been to the fringe before, sorry. That is rough. Um, that is a bit rough. I, uh, I was actually here last year, which was the first Edinburgh fringe after lockdown. And so, uh, while it was kind of nerve-wracking, it was really amazing to be a part of seeing Scotland's beautiful, historically significant capital city uh, standing back on its own two feet. Thanks to the temporary migration of hundreds of talented, charismatic Glaswegians <laughs> who migrated to Edinburgh for four weeks to provide the city with some culture. Yes, uh, so this evening, uh, we're going to be having a discussion uh, which is around the pros and cons of, of online living, careers online, personal information online. But before that, uh, I'm just going to kind of ease you in gently with um, some light observations about social media. And I'm sure you'll all agree that if there is one phenomenon that has brought us all closer together as a society, then it's Facebook. Yes? Can you raise your hands, please, if you feel that social media has been a net positive for civilization? One, two, three, okay. Okay, so we're talking here a minority of people for whom it's been a, an overall positive experience. For me, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. I really enjoy the social media when I have something to say. Not so much when you have something to say back. And then one of the difficulties that I feel with social media is that you're constantly being exposed to other points of view and other perspectives on life. And while if you try to be open-minded like I try to be, that can be a very nice tonic to what otherwise might be quite a rigid, fixed view of the world, it can get a little bit overwhelming. I mean, for me, sometimes I have days where I couldn't say hand on heart what is true or what is right. And so there is an onslaught of perspectives that makes it difficult to kind of plant a flag in any version of an agreed reality. Although it seems some of you are not afflicted by thought at that complex level. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for anyone in here who's never heard of me uh, and is feeling a little smug about it, <laughs> sitting there thinking, well, I don't know who he is, who the fuck is he? Uh, I'm actually at a really interesting point in my career where if you don't know who I am, that's actually evidence of how uncool and obscure you are. <laughs> Which is a welcome inversion of the previous circumstances. One of the things I find frustrating about social media is actually reading the opinions of people that ideologically I agree with, I find them more irritating. I find them more annoying, more insufferable. 
thanks to the, the, the privilege that many of the people who've supported my work over the last few years have afforded me, I have a lot of autonomy over when I work, how long I work for, and this allows me to stay at home for most of the year and take care of my children. Uh, and, and my wife goes and does, and does the, the, the hard labor and the workplace with the shift patterns and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm in the morning, I'm up early, I get the kids up, um, I give them their breakfast, I have to take all the questions about the porridge, I have to have the, the, the five-year-old's meltdown about being served milk in the wrong colour of cup, <laughs> then I get them ready, then I like to wake mummy up maybe just after eight o'clock because she's got to do the school run in the car, so I let her sleep as long as possible, you know, happy wife, happy life, or so the theory goes. And uh, after all of that, obviously, once I've managed to get them out the door, then I have to clean up the debris field, the absolute carnage just for their mere existence in a physical space for 35 minutes. And that's my day every day. God forbid I might take an hour out and go to the gym. I might have a wee siesta. Then I've got to go and get them from school, cook the dinner, spoon the dinner into the bin, bath. <laughs> And I used to read them bedtime stories, but now I just get an AI to do it. Because you can get the, you can get the chat GPT to actually just include their names. So it appeals to that childlike narcissism. So see, at the end of the day, when I open up Facebook, the last thing I want to see is an opinion piece by a Guardian columnist telling me that the way I load the dishwasher is misogyny. Okay, I consider myself a pretty woke guy but you can fuck off with that shit. But I would say the most irritating thing for me is just now I have a window into middle class people and all of their made up illnesses. People who are so desperate for a hard luck story that they are self-diagnosing with all sorts of ridiculous ailments. A few years ago, it was political homelessness that they were suffering from. I mean, talk about being politically incorrect for fuck's sake. How many homeless people did they walk past to get here? To moan about how you're politically homeless? From the team that brought you political homelessness comes a shit show of made-up conditions. The first one being um, shopping aisle blindness. Have you heard of this? Well, Adrian Childs has it, apparently. <laughs> oh, darling, I can't see the coconut milk. Oh, honey, that might be your shopping aisle blindness. Perhaps triggered, perhaps triggered by that unsightly spectacle of the working class checkout assistant's Disney-themed neck tattoo. Shopping aisle blindness, fuck off. <laughs> then we have uh, intrusive thoughts. I, I, I have intrusive thoughts. As opposed to all those other thoughts. All those other thoughts that form an orderly queue on the periphery of consciousness that never want to interrupt the prior state of consciousness. Let's just break down what happens with a thought and how it gets in there. You feel and think a certain way and then through a process of intrusion, another thought comes in and changes how you think and changes how you feel. My theory is that we give the difficult, painful, embarrassing, uncomfortable thoughts more resonance by attaching meaning to them 
when they randomly pop into our heads. So don't worry if anybody in here is worried that they might be a paedophile. You probably aren't. But just double check, just in case. Uh, the other thing I hear middle class people talking about, um, they, they always have to put a little middle class prefix on everything. They can't just go swimming. It has to be wild swimming. <laughs> and so uh, a functional alcoholic. We got any functional alcoholics in? Yeah? Functional alcoholic. Wondering if the bevy trolley's coming in during the show. I should have got three tins of wine. <laughs> I have insight beyond what you could possibly imagine. Uh, yeah, the functional alcoholic thing. It's an interesting take on being a Jake Ball. Very interesting. Uh, one of the reasons that you might find that you're able to function in your alcoholism is because due to being an addict uh, and due to the obsession uh, with either acquiring or using or recovering from your substance of choice, any time the opportunity to, to, to use that substance presents itself, then your brain will produce the perfect hormonal configuration so that you are motivated, energetic, intelligent, and cunning enough to either continue drinking or to conceal the damage the drinking's doing to your life. And so really you are just a, you're just a pisshead like everyone else. What I would say functional alcoholics is, remove the alcohol from the equation for seven days and tell me how you function then. Fuck off. The final thing is um, imposter syndrome. Now, this is something I think is contagious because a lot of working class people are now catching it. <laughs> Through Facebook. So imposter syndrome's this idea, isn't it? You know, that it's just, oh, I just don't deserve this wonderful life in this dual income household full of endless opportunities, multiple vehicles, agonizing about moving so we have another driveway. I just don't deserve it. I have a theory about imposter syndrome, right? If you suffer from imposter syndrome, then it's one of three root causes, right? The first one's a no-brainer. You suffer from imposter syndrome because you're just so fucking incompetent <laughs> that there is really no need to speculate any further. Luckily, people of this ilk are also ignorant, and so they don't know I'm talking about them right now. The second reason that we might suffer from imposter syndrome is because in the daily negotiation of existence, where we're coming up against different people who we portray certain facets of our nature to, then we're always doing this little dance internally, aren't we, where we carefully partition and segregate different aspects of our personalities, beliefs and experiences, so that we are presenting what we think is the most acceptable version of ourselves to whoever we're dealing with at any given moment. The boss, the partner, the children, and there is actually a spiritual cost to that failure to truly unify the self into one coherent thing. And so imposter syndrome really is just your body telling you a little signal, don't worry, we all have to lie, we all have to do the dance, but maybe, you know, we could try and curate our social lives and our romantic lives in a way that we'll get more comfortable with saying how we truly feel, saying what we truly want being who we truly are, without fear of some kind of punishment or reprisal or humiliation. 
Uh, and the third reason some people suffer from imposter syndrome, particularly uh, the more affluent among us, is because you know deep down, because you are on paper well-educated, you know that we don't live in a meritocracy. You know that if we did, and you and your children actually had to compete in education, the labour market, health, criminal justice, and politics, then you might not be doing quite as well as you are now. But you can read about all of that in my book, which is on sale out there after. Um, and I'll just leave it there. Now, uh, I would like to uh, introduce the guests this evening. The first guest is uh, Paul Tweddle. And he has a YouTube channel called Heavy Spoilers, which he had been working on for a while, and then it really did blow up during lockdown. For kind of obvious reasons, but then if it was a shit YouTube channel, it wouldn't have blown up. So what he does, he does it really well. He has over 1 million subscribers, regularly trains on YouTube for his analysis and commentary, and has had an interesting roller coaster experience over the last few years of kind of shooting to fame with, uh, with this particular enterprise. So I would like you all to put your hands together for Paul. And our next guest is a photographer who hails from the south side of Glasgow. He's just touched down after a tour of the US. And some of the photography that he managed to get, uh, managed to get on that trip was obviously pretty stunning. So I advise you to check out his Instagram, which has over 200,000 followers. And that's real followers. Not fucking chatbots and AIs or whatever the terminology is. That's real people who regularly are interacting with his posts. Dylan also lives with a condition so rare that it only affects 13 people globally. And so has, I'm not sure if it's through a choice of his own or if it's just because he's become a de facto voice on disability education and awareness. But ultimately one of the things that really drew me to his content wasn't just his beautiful photographs, but the way that he articulates his experience, the way that he invites people in to learn more about people who do live with disabilities. And so for those reasons and more, it gives me great pleasure that Dylan could make time in his pretty hectic schedule to come along and enlighten us all this evening. So make some noise for Dylan Lombard. Now, uh, we'll just begin, I think, because I'm not, we, I can't make assumptions about who in the audience knows who in terms of, like, you know, who they are, what they do and all that. So I think we'll just start getting the ball on deck, uh, just chatting a wee bit maybe about this journey of uh, Heavy Spoilers, your channel, which I sort of remember from the very, very early days. Yeah. And then obviously with uh, the pandemic and uh, things kind of accelerated in a way, didn't they? Yeah, so um, I just started off, I, I was a website designer for quite a while, um, and I, I thought, you know, I've got, I know how to build a website, so I'm just going to do something I'm interested in, which was reviewing Batman graphic novels. So I thought, you know, I'm going to make a website where really nerdy, just every single Batman graphic novel that's ever come out, ever, we're going to review it and make a big thing that people can come check out our thoughts on. Now, Batman v Superman, which... Uh, you know, it was a controversial movie at the time. There's people who like it. I don't know if you enjoy it, but didn't like it. Um, but they did an, an extended edition of it, um, and I just thought, 
Oh, this is quite an interesting thing. So uh, I just put together a quick YouTube video, um, filmed it on my PlayStation 4, just playing one of the Arkham games, and I, I reviewed it and gave my thoughts on it and put it on YouTube. And overnight, it got about 6,000 views. And I just thought, oh, this is like way more than anything that I've ever put on the website's been viewed. And it just kind of spiraled into that and kind of, I mainly do comic book movies, um, which is obviously a big popular thing. During lockdown, there was lots of different TV shows, um, WandaVision, like that especially, no one really had any idea of what was happening in the show. So I was like, ah, well, I've actually read this comic book that I'll tell you about from the 1970s. So people just kind of flocked to me and then it just really grew from then. Yeah, and, and, and obviously you're, you're part of a community of, of, of people who have a, a deep knowledge of the history yeah. of comics. And this really is the golden age for that type of person yeah. with that type of sometimes really quite obscure knowledge. I mean, how does it feel to maybe have grown up in an era where it wasn't so cool and it wasn't so popular to now it's like catnip for an algorithm, yeah. isn't it? It's it's so weird being able to say like, I'd watch comic book movies for a living and talk about it. But it is, it's like one of those things that you have when you're a kid that you think, oh, I'd love to do this as a job. Um, but there just wasn't a marketplace before YouTube for it. And it's kind of, and Twitter even now is almost evolving into paying out for tweets and stuff. And there's like a really weird thing that I think is gonna happen in the future where it's, you either make content creation or you watch it and it's gonna be this big, maybe like, I don't know, thousands of people involved in just constantly watching and... Just moving to a completely podcast-based yeah, economy. That, yeah, but... That's where we were heading, isn't it, though? Though there is so much content out there. Because I watch stuff as well, so I'm funding other people doing it. And if they watch me, it's, and it could expand in this massive thing. But like my, what my, I do is a niche, but there's, these niches and channels for everything now it's not just like how it used to be with tv stations where you know the bbc would show 10 programs a day or whatever and that would be whatever those programs were you had to have an interest in but now it's like if you enjoy gardening you know you like what you're doing now it's it, there's people out there that'll watch it and i saw a channel where it's basically just people who put washing machines on yeah. settings certain settings and in the description of the video, it's like, you know, uh, hot point, twin tub, 30 degree, yeah. spin, one hour spin. And then it's just, it, it just, it's filmed the washing machine going through that cycle. And then the thing is, you would think this is the most weird kind of like fetish ever. And then you actually look at the metrics and you're like five million views. And it's because somewhere out there, there's someone who likes the sound of a washing machine in the distance as they're trying to sleep or as they're trying to study. It's that sound as if you're in a house and it's active. And there's just all sorts of kind of interesting little communities online uh, that um, on the surface seem a bit weird. But if you delve into it, particularly in the comments, I find you can see the spirit of a community and the comments that are left. You know, if you type in meditation music for anxiety and you just can stroll th scroll through tens of thousands of comments, it's people that have just left a supportive comment for you who might arrive there in distress. It really is quite beautiful and definitely less stressful than Twitter. Now, you, you, you're, um, you, Paul's experience 
um, was, was, sounds like it was quite sudden and kind of dictated by the mechanics of social media. Um, I, I, I became aware of you maybe over the last year, Dylan. And, um, and so what I was curious to know was, uh, the first thing was, has your visibility on Instagram grown suddenly? Or was it something that was built gradually? Because a lot of people's experiences, they're on there for a while, then they create something that captures the public imagination and then this kind of is like a performance enhancing drug in terms of their level of, of, of visibility. What was your experience? And um, so I would say that it's been like a mixture experience. Um, and I feel when I first started like social media, I feel that there wasn't much experience because I didn't really know how social media worked um, and it was all new to me. And so I was really just, I really wanted to get into how social media works and how to engage with the audience. And I thought that my disability was a great way to show people that um, that I do have a disability, but it's something that it's a positive thing, not a negative thing. And I really wanted to show and raise awareness about that disability. And, and also because my disability is extremely rare. So I thought raising awareness would help more people understand. I mean, as, and when you say rare, it's in the true definition of the word. I mean, a lot of things are, are, are rare, but I mean, more people win the lottery than who live with, with what you live with. And, and so it's a big responsibility to take on your, on your shoulders and it, it, it can be easy. You know, I've seen you sometimes expressing some of your frustrations online. And, and uh, while obviously I, I think most of your audience are on board with you and they're very supportive. And I can see in the comments that you've cultivated a very generous community, uh, warm-spirited community. But obviously in your day-to-day -day life, you'll be dealing with all sorts of, of, of bullshit, eh? Yeah, so I think sometimes there is that... I think when I was younger, there is always... I used to just look at the comments. I used to be really focused on the comments and I always used to just scroll through them. And I would just, I would read like a lot of them. And when it came to like that, those comments were like, why are they saying that? Or something that's quite inappropriate. And it really stuck with me like what they were saying. So like, I thought that when people were saying stuff, I thought it was true. So someone was saying something not very nice about me, then I would think, well, is that true that they're saying that to me? And I used to find it quite hard to, to not look at it. It always used to stay with me for like the full day. And I think as I got older, I've noticed that there is more of those comments and because I feel that when you grow on social media especially is that there are going to be more of those comments and I've learned that there is always going to be people who don't like what you do and I've noticed that there is more support than, than the negative comments 
So I always try and push forward and look at those comments rather than the comments that put me down. Yeah, and I think that's, um, I mean, I could learn a lot from that take, to be honest, Dylan. Uh, and it actually, it was, it, was, it was a conscious decision by me to try and interact with different content on social media because I was getting kind of, I, I feel like I was emotionally stagnating every time I went on there. Traveling a lot, you know, you rely on social media really as a distraction. So it was when I started trying to interact with different things. Um, and that's when the algorithm was like, meet Dylan, you know. But I, I'm interested also to know, out with the, 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 um, the, 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 the things that you, you live with in your day-to-day -day life, and obviously that's a big part of the content that you, you create, your experience. But just as someone on Instagram, just as a photographer, an artist who obviously you have aspirations in, in that field, was there a particular moment where you were like, oh, hang on, this actually really works for me, this kind of medium? Because it doesn't work for everyone, does it? Yeah, I feel that I feel quite lucky because I've managed to find something that I'm really passionate about so young in my life. And I feel that Sometimes it's really hard for a lot of people to find that at an early age. And I feel finding like photography at this age has really helped me like to push away from like all the negative thoughts and feelings. And photography has been a big part of being able to connect with people and being able to connect with the audiences. And it's really helped me to show people that how I see the world, because photography is really good to express your feelings. And I feel when taking photographs, you can really express how you're feeling in that moment. And it's like when I take a photograph, it's like the world's turned off, so that nothing else, everything else stops. Now, uh Dylan shared his experience there of, of um, saying something that's probably not actually contentious on social media. Just saying, I'm Dylan, this is my experience. Uh, and that sometimes creating grounds for contention and comments, criticism. Whereas what you're doing, it, it's sort of priced in. You're yeah. stating an opinion on things. And actually, while the comic book community is not necessarily... Um, politicised in the way that we would characterise a lot of the division that we see culturally. I mean, the, the, the level of animosity that we see sometimes online, even just over who should play Batman. Uh, what, what's your take on Zack Snyder's uh, film universe? Yeah. And, and, and that, first of all, when did you start to realise that you were going to become another lightning rod for that? And secondly... Um, what steps have you taken to try and minimise the level of stress that I'm sure sometimes that this can cause you when you're trying to create stuff? Yeah, it's so difficult because when you put out, when you have an audience, it, you don't actually, if, especially if you're a YouTuber, you don't actually really consider it because it's not like this is the first time I'm speaking in front of like actual people. Normally, I'm just sat in my room on a Exclusive. laptop. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> like, normally, I'm sat in my room on, like, a laptop working away, and then I put it to the internet, and that's when I get the comments in. Um, so, it, yeah, it's... it's Because you, you, you're not experiencing the audience, so you just put out anything, but then you don't realise that there's an entire world out there that could potentially dislike you and tell you exactly about it. Um, and even on Twitter now, I'll put out the odd 
maybe a political opinion or just, just not even like a harmless thing, just like, oh, this sucks, they've done that. Um, and you will get backlash about it, and there'll be people who you know, feel strongly about it, um, which is fair enough, but whatever you say, kind of, there will be someone out there who wants to argue with you and get your attention almost. And I have no experience of that, oddly enough. Yeah, <laughs> like, we, we, we were saying before in the, that you put out an innocent post about being late for a, an event because there was a, a cycle event going on, and then you just had loads of people who were interested in cycling, searching for you and like arguing with you. And you, do, you, you get so attached to these arguments as well that it almost takes over your real life. Um, and you'll, you know, you'll put your phone away and it'll play on the back of your mind like, oh, this person's, they could be in my pocket right now arguing away and <laughs> saying nasty things. And like, it's because it's like part of your body and you've got instant access to it. Whereas if you have an argument in real life, you know, you leave the room, it's over. But with it being on your phone, it's like at all times and it can almost, I don't, I don't know if you get it, like you get a sort of a bit like a burning feeling inside yeah. of you, like, a, yeah. like, oh, I'm so angry. And you've just got to learn to be, you, you won't gain anything from arguing on the internet. That's what I've, fig I've figured out that, you know, at most you're going to get maybe 10 people who like your post and th say like, oh, well done. But it's not, you know, that's the ultimate reward. And a lot of the times you, you're just going to look like, why is this guy arguing with this guy? Yeah, because I think uh, when, when you get into an argument online, really, it's, it's your audience against their audience. It's not really uh, about yeah. what you're arguing and about. I, I've, I've inadvertently, like, not uh, intentionally got people to dogpile someone, but it's just, the, the thing is, when you put out a tweet, you, like I said, you've got the potential that the whole world's going to argue with you, and it'll get to a point where there's you'll say something and there'll be 50 people at once trying to start an argument with you. And it's just kind of, it's not draining, but you just get used to not really responding and being like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's your opinion, that's totally fine. And I do find if you just approach it on like a level head and not raise the stakes or anything and say, oh yeah, well, I can understand why you feel that, that people do genuinely tend to de-escalate. A lot of the times if you're arguing with someone, if you just DM them as well, it'll completely kill the tension and it'll be absolutely fine. Um, but there was a, like a, a couple of months ago that I, someone said something and I quote tweeted it and loads of people dogpiled them and they went on a big rant saying how I was problematic and stuff. And it, it stuck with me for quite a while and I actually messaged them last week saying, oh, look, I'm sorry for, for saying this, it has. And they were so receptive about it um, and they enjoyed it. So I'll try and approach things like, I'm 35 now, you know what I mean? I, I'm not like a hot-headed youngster that I used to be. Um, and it's just like, do you have the time and energy for it as well? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think sometimes as well, I, for, in my personal experience, I don't know about you guys, sometimes in my effort to be kind of accommodating of, of, of people's differing views from mine or, you know, being receptive to being uh, pulled up or called out for things, I've actually created, sometimes cultivated a, 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 a sense that I can also just be taken advantage of. So sometimes I find it difficult due to my own emotional nature of maybe sometimes being a bit over accommodating and not knowing how to healthily assert boundaries and just going, no, you're actually just taking the piss. Yeah. And you're wearing a veil of fighting for something worthy, and it is worthy, but you're actually disrespecting it by the way that you're trying to use that to manipulate me for your own ends. And it's a real, real minefield because you don't get a sense of anyone really on social media unless you know them prior. 
So you're always kind of eyeballing it and taking a bit of a, of a guess. But I guess in, one of the things that I have noticed with content creators, particularly when it comes to comic book films, criticism, analysis, and, and a general beef with a big section of the comic book audience is that they, they seem to have this issue where they, they, it's a red flag if they feel that someone's politicising something in a yeah. way in terms of, you know, like um, representation, diversity. There's a way that some people feel it can be done tastefully and then there's a way some people feel that it's just kind of a bit on the nose. But it seems like a lot of folk will be on board with you as long as you don't stray into either side of that. Yeah. Which is kind of, I guess, simplifies the process for some content creators, but then I guess it would be quite restrictive sometimes as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Like, everything, just, just in life in general, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. Um, I, I try and keep my own politics out of stuff because, like, I criticised Trump years and years ago, and i just seen that, even doing something like that from an English person. Just well, It wasn't worth the way that the comments on the video skewed away from the main subject, and you kind of taken in a place it doesn't really need to go um so i do try and keep things neutral but then in doing that i'll also get comments saying you're ignoring this problem um or you're not fully addressing this thing in the manner it needs to be discussed so it is i mean it's how deep you want to go on something but i find that you know there's there's a level of escapism that people want with this stuff they they appreciate metaphors and for maybe how the world works but they're not necessarily wanting to be beaten over the head with this is the way it's got to be and like you'll watch movies and they'll they'll portray villains in a way that you can be like well i can see it from their point of view but i don't agree with it and i think that's the smarter way to go with it whereas you know people get their backs up about politics being like this is a black and white issue and this is the way to go um but you know everyone's different on it i think I've been talking about this a lot recently where I think everyone brings their own baggage to a situation and often you need to just look at things objectively. Um, there's like lots of celebrity trials going on at the moment where certain people side with one person because they'll be like, well, like, I've been through something similar and I, I gravitate towards them or they'll say, well, this has happened and I gra and I think you just need to be kind of objective and not really force your opinion and kind of stick to what that they've clicked on the video for. Um, now, just kind of steering away from some of the, the, the politics of stuff, although as it, it's interesting just sort of getting a bit of, I hope you find it interesting, just how that actually is erupting through every community, online, even the comic book analysis community, where uh, things can get quite challenging. But just to get back to just the mechanics of these sites, Obviously, at every stage in the development of civilization, there has been a lot of phobia around technology. You know what I mean? The first fork, the first cup. I'm sure there was somebody just going, no, I'm fine. Drinking water out of my hand, thanks. You keep that devilry away from me. And then when people started to write on paper, and then there was anxiety that, that no one would be able to remember anything. But of course, that was the whole point of paper, so that you didn't have to remember everything. And this was the case right up to, you know, the printing press, the industrial period, books. And then, and then now we're at a point where sometimes I think the, the phobia that people have around the revolutionary nature of technology, they fixate on that. And it is a valid fear, particularly artificial intelligence. But something that I didn't really think about was how profoundly my own life was changed by 
this level playing field. Because I came through the arts scene. I then got sober, qualified as a journalist. There were few opportunities for someone like me from my background. And um, suddenly, Twitter, where I can direct, have a direct dialogue with people who are into me, I don't have to go through an editor. I don't have to go through a funder. And if I get a wee retweet off a of Frankie Boyle or a Lemmy, that's the high point of my day, or week, or year. And it has a real material impact on what I'm able to do. Because these little interactions, what I recognised was on social media, these big cultural figures that we look up to, it's like they're just right through the wall from you. And I wonder what your experience has been, because obviously you've touched on, on some of the, the, the negative aspects of it. And we've talked about how, how, how uh, you've been able to get your, your voice through social media. But I'm sure that it's led to opportunities in the real world, for want of a better phrase as well. And that actually it does have a net positive material impact, doesn't it? Yeah, so I feel that through social media, I think because I find it really difficult to like talk to people in the real world. And sometimes I think when I came to social media, it was an easier way to communicate with people. And I think through sharing my photography online and my experiences, there has been times where I've been given opportunities through social media. And that's through maybe selling photos in businesses and in magazines and newspapers. And, and that's been a really positive experience for me. And I feel that all those opportunities that I'm getting through social media has wanted me to continue to use social media. And, and I think also, what, something that we don't necessarily think about, especially if, 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 like you're saying, there's a certain level of anxiety or apprehension about real-world engagement. Um, when you have a social media visibility and then you attract an audience who are interested in you, then it's almost like, a, uh, it's almost like it sets the table for a lot of conversations in the real world. Because if you know you go to an event or you're doing something in the real world where they already know who you are, and so it takes out some of that legwork that we all have to do in terms of who are you da -da 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 -da, from both sides. Because, you know, we understand what the transaction is. You know, people are here to see such and such or, or whatever. And so I, I found while that does come with stress sometimes and not everybody's as considerate as other people, at the end of the day, having that kind of having a sort of reputation and a community around it that, that precedes you. It does make it a wee bit easier. It sort of greases the wheels of, of, of the real world, or does it? I feel that because, um, like going back to like when I was younger, I feel that because I didn't really have social media and also I didn't really have like a passion for anything. And it came to me as to when I started looking at magazines and newspapers and that's when I first then had a passion of photography. And then I started looking on social media at other photographers and other people who do stuff in the arts. And that really drove me on to think, right, is this something that I want to continue to do and something that I want to do as a career? 
And, and uh, when you were saying that there, Dylan, it made me think also one of the great things for social media for me, it helped me find my tribe in terms of other people who are trying to succeed in the same thing as me. So when I announced my tour, which was all self-funded and a big gamble for me, uh, it was really all of the, can you come here please, that I got on Twitter that made me feel a bit more confident because I ended up just going and starting taking bookings on Twitter, which made it a lot easier. But then the other thing was, every show I went to, I would link up with an artist or a writer, or they would give me a place to stay, or they would take me out and show me around our community. And so there was this thing where you're getting an audience, well, that's a different kind of relationship, but then you're also getting this sense of what it's like to be in that mode where you're out there, you're trying to make shit happen, the challenges, the positives, the negatives. And what's your experience been of meeting like peers uh, and 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 in your field, have you met anybody? Do you talk online to anyone? You know, dealing with some of the same issues or with the same aspirations, and has that made a difference? Uh, I think because I've made so many connections through social media, and I think having that, there is always that positive and negative when you try and connect with people, and I think. I've done like podcasts in the past and I've talked to people and sometimes I felt that that person would be nice to talk to and then what you don't realise is that the content that they post and it's like you need to, I need to like not jump too far ahead. I feel like sometimes I rush too far forward and I think with social media is that Sometimes it's like if you post something, you've posted it and it's been seen like worldwide and it's sometimes really hard if you post something by accident or if you say something that you didn't mean to say that. And I think I've been trying to say things that I want to say, like my message to the world. And I know that not everyone agrees to it and not everyone looks at it. But what I think is, is the message that I want to give. And if people like it, then those are the people that I'll look up to and the people that I'll follow. Um, I, I guess I would like to kind of flip that to you, because I mean, I've watched your chat, your star rise on online, but I, I, I know you from way back from other things, but there was a moment where I knew the impact you were having because I started seeing you interacting with other channels and other figures in the same game, who in my mind I knew had already succeeded in terms of getting that visibility. And so it seems like you've now, you're now part of, of a, a, a community of people uh, who are in the same kind of business as you. And I wonder, what are the kind of benefits of that? Do you enjoy yeah. that? Um, yeah, it's nice actually speaking to people who can see it from your point of view. Um, and, you know, Social media, what's been great is that it has stripped away the hierarchy of everything. Like, I was talking before about the, like, BBC would show it. You'd obviously have your BBC presenters and they would be, and you'd wonder, like, how do I get into that job? Whereas now you can just, anyone can make a video and upload it to YouTube and it instantly strips away that barrier of getting recognition and people watching your stuff. Um, and obviously, you know, when you rise up and you start interacting with others, there is a certain level where people, like I've got a friend called Greg who his channel's got a million subscribers as well. He's out in America and we, we just talk to each other all the time about like 
the difficulties and because I mean it is it's a great job but the you know, like with anything, you know, you, you, you think it's amazing when you first start doing it and then you start hitting things like, oh, this is suck. Um, so, like, we'll sometimes they'll release a trailer for something at like 3 a.m. in the morning and I've got to get up and I'll speak to him, like, and it'll not release at the time we thought it was going to release. So, we'll be sitting there anxiously waiting for it to come out. And it, it's nice just having that person to, to sound off against and kind of talk and, and we'll even screenshot comments and send them to each other and be like oh have you seen what this guy said and the other person's got to like say no look you look great your voice sounds fantastic people aren't uh, they don't find it annoying at all or anything and stuff like that um so it is it's really nice having that community there to support you and who are going through the same thing and it becomes a friendship that's you know what it is and yeah. just in the same way that you might you know, you might fall out with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you turn to your friends for advice. You'll you'll go through things where it's like, oh, I've lost 10 subscribers today and <laughs> we're having a really bad breakup. Do you think? Something's yeah. just like, fucking get a grip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's like, don't worry, tomorrow those 10 will come crawling back. They don't know what they're missing. Yeah. Paul's got this thing on his uh, analysis of like, his, his analysis of like TV shows or, or whatever. He does this thing called Theory Time. Mm. And and it's really funny because the screen cuts to like space, and then it's his voice just going three time, three time, three time. But the amount of pushback that I seen him getting as a result of that, and then I liked it when one day you just fully doubled down. You yeah. were just like, no, I, I'm fucking doing it this way. And if you don't like it, fine. Three time, three time, three time. Because it is a kind of that's him expressing his own quirks and his own sense of humour, whereas the audience sometimes can be directing us to, to, to express ourselves in this very kind of homogenised way. And so I, I, I respected that among many other things. Now what I want to do is quickly open it up for questions for just under 10, 10 minutes. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, you, you, I take it you've been a captive audience. It's weird for me because normally when I come in I've got a show and there's lots of high energy and all that, so it's taken me a wee while to get used to this, because there's a part of me that's like, they don't like this, because they're not making noise. But uh, that's just my own, that's just my own wee quirks there. So uh, if you want to ask a question, you can signal that you want to do that in the usual way, uh, by raising your hand, and then we've got a roving mic that will come to you, and I, I know that you'll feel patronised by me saying this, but it's important that you hold the microphone to your face when you speak. Thank you. Would anyone like to ask a question? Now we've got someone in there. Hi. I'm really nervous now. Is that on? Can you hear me? Um, yeah, really interesting um, what topics you're talking about online. Um, I do spend a fair bit of time, not loads, not, not loads of time online. Um, I just find it's a really, I just wondered if you thought it's a very strange environment that we're kind of um, living through right now. Um, be careful what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and it sort of feels, I was like speaking to someone earlier, and it sort of feels as if I'm living through a George Orwell book, 1984. <laughs> And, um, so Have you seen that. these new Sky TVs? TVs? No. But it's basically the big selling point is that there's a camera on the telly that's yeah. watching you. 
doing workouts and all that. And this kid, this TV can see you doing your yoga and your oh yoga God. man. It's just like, it really is like that. Yeah, um, I'll need to check that out. Um, I was just wondering, um, I'm not wanting to look for any specific um, opinions on any particular subject. Um, so you can breathe. <laughs> um, I just wondered if, like, just like an observation, observation-wise, what do you think about the extremism that's sort of happening, polarisation um, in politics? Because I follow it quite closely. Well, we are um, going to, uh, the only reason I'm stopping you there, and we can chat on the train on the way home, right? Because we're all going in the same direction, aren't we? Right? So you've got an exclusive hour of chat, but I don't want, I, my guests weren't invited here to talk about politics and I don't want to just throw on them. So I'm protecting them from that, if that's okay. Um, and I appreciate your understanding and we can get a blether uh, later on. Next question. And we've got another one to your right there. Thank you. Hello, I am just intrigued. So you talked a bit about the opportunities that were open to you through social media and that might not have been there without social media. So I guess I'm just curious if you hadn't have had those opportunities to an audience, where might, where might you see yourself now? Is this just a general question? Yeah. 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 Do you want to, did you hear that okay, Dylan? No? Yeah. Right, so uh, uh, she was asking, um, we've all talked about how social media has given us a lot of opportunities and that the, those opportunities might have looked different or not existed at all without social media. So really, uh, she's just kind of asking, what would that have looked like in a world without Instagram, in a world without Facebook or YouTube? You know, how, how might our lives have developed? Do you want to take a go at that? Um, so I think it would be much harder if there wasn't Instagram or social media. I think because engaging with the real world, I think, is much harder. And I think sometimes I find it difficult in like large groups of people. And I think social media and Instagram, you're not seeing the audience like in front of you. So you're just seeing it online. And I think also you can reach more people, I think, online uh, rather than the real world. Thanks, Dylan. What about you, Paul? Um, for me, I, I'd probably... Well, I, I wouldn't be able to do website development, obviously. Um, I think I'd probably just be... I mean, I, I used to work in bars and call centres and stuff, so I could imagine it would just be a sort of thing like that. In terms of... How, do you mean how the world would be and, and stuff like that, or just my career in general? Or Yeah, yeah so, I mean, I've always been, like, a, a kind of... Uh, like to do performance. I always used to do plays and stuff at school. So I think it would just be sort of doing that, but on a scale without really any recognition. And I think that's the thing with the internet. And we obviously talked about how you you can get something out worldwide now. And I think it would have just been such a small community. And like my granddad used to go to folk nights and watch people play music. And, you know, th those people could have been massive singers worldwide known if there was the internet at the time but because it was such a confined thing i mean i, I was i would still write reviews I, when i was growing up i used to write reviews in little exercise books i'd steal from school um so i mean maybe in a hundred years when they finally invented the internet in the future they'd come across those reviews and be like this is what world was like back in the day 
Thanks, that was a really interesting uh, question. Right, we've got time for uh, one more question. Got a gentleman up the back there. Um, this is probably a really naive question because I haven't gone down the rabbit hole of social media nearly as much as probably most people have. But what I do wonder and what little knowledge I've got is the, when you use the term content creators, you're identifying yourself as in the economic system that YouTube and whoever else does it creates for content creators to further themselves, including the financial side of it. And from what I understand, um, successful contract creators can make vast amounts of money. Um, so I'm wondering, I mean, I've only ever used internet really for, to try and learn stuff, mostly reading about history. But you get all sorts of people who've got no background telling you stories and you're relying totally on how good, how honest they are and how much integrity they have in telling you what they see as the truth. But if the ecosystem that the content creators are working in is saying um, the more clicks you get, the more views you get are an incentive yeah. in their own right. I think, then, I, get, I, I, think I get well, what you're getting at. Yeah. How, how good do you think that the ecosystem is in maintaining the integrity, like say the BBC as a whole, pilot systems to, to make sure yeah. what they put out is cool. in good faith. Cool. Okay. I'll take that. I'll take that one. Right. Only reason I'm cutting you off is so I've got time to answer you. Um, I'll take that one. Uh, yes. I mean, obviously the free market ideologues, they say, just give it time and the, the liars will, will be found out and uh, the, the honest, smart, qualified people, they will rise to the top. Just let the free market deal with it. No regulation, no, no rules. You know, eventually it'll all sort itself out. The question is, it might, but in the intervening period, as we get from the wild, wild west of information and truth to something approaching uh, a system with a, a parameters and integrity, then there's an immense a lot of collateral damage that occurs, isn't there? And health and culture and all sorts of other, all sorts of other areas. The big problem with social media, I think, and it would have been good to touch on this in the conversation, but we're going to run out of time, unfortunately, but we can pick it up at another point, hopefully. Uh, the, big, the, the big issue with the, 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 the opaque system of rules that the tech and social media giants have is that no one really knows what the rules are. You just get an alert that says there's a problem with your channel and then there's a process you have to go through to resolve it. And often that has nothing to do with the veracity of a claim. It has nothing to do with checking if someone is useful, helpful, agreeable, disagreeable. It's all about a corporation saying, you're not using our, you're not using a clip of our thing. So we're hitting you. And so, as well as all of that stuff you're talking about, there is also just a lot of inconsistency between different channels. It seems that your YouTubes and your Facebooks, um, they have a preferential treatment for the big, big players uh, that own a lot of the content or own the licenses and, and then the people who are just trying to make a living. Often are talking about all of their property. Uh, they're getting hit additionally. 
And so uh, this all has to be regulated. It has to be regulated by governments. But because it's such a big global enterprise, one government regulating it's not enough. And I'm not talking about we need a new world order to control Facebook. But obviously there has to be consistency around, around, around the world. And uh, this is obviously a genie that we've let out of the bottle that we'll never be able to put back in. Now, thank you for your questions, guys. I hope that answer was okay for you. I can get the feeling that you, you, you would have been quite happy to chat a bit longer. And it seems that all of you have, have, have been pretty engaged this evening. Uh, I just want to end by uh, just thanking you all. I don't know really what your experiences of social media have been. Maybe they're been, been reflected up here in our experiences, whether you're using it for work, whether you're using it for education, whether you're using it to keep in contact, to maintain relationships. I personally, uh, when I'm feeling a bit more optimistic about life, think that by and large, it's an immense gift. It's an immense tool. And obviously there are problems with it, like there are with anything, you know, when somebody created fire for the first time, it solved the problem of heat and light, and then things started burning down. It's just part of our development. We create things, they're problematic, but we try to take the positives out of it. So I hope that you'll leave here with a feeling of pragmatism in the face of all of the uncertainty. Don't be too frightened of this technology. I think on the whole, I mean, it helps us keep track of our kids. It helps us keep in touch with. It helps us keep in touch with people we want to keep in touch with. Get the word out about things, and so uh, I hope that you will feel as inspired as I do with the nuanced perspectives and the experiences of social media. Not to judge a whole phenomenon based on the fact that you're followed by a bunch of arseholes. <laughs> on that note, I would like you to put your hands together and thank our guests, Paul and Dylan. I'm Darren McGarvey, and this has been Common People Live. Thank you very much.